This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> B-F-F-T. Now, live from Milwaukee Lumber in Milwaukee, here's John Canzano with the Ball Face Truth, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. You love the echo there. I feel like I'm stepping into the batter's box. Did I get a walk-up song? We are broadcasting today from Milwaukee Lumber. We're in Old Town, Milwaukee. I've broadcast from here before. You know it's a real radio show when you're in a lumber yard. Broadcasting, talking sports, surrounded by uh, some of the best people that you should get to know when it comes to your next home improvement project. Uh, we have a great show today. There is so much going on. Anna's on scene. She is sitting beside me along for the ride today. You will hear her throughout the show today. And uh, she is on my left side. Is that right? Should you be on my left side? I feel like that's the driver's side. Like, maybe I should be on the driver's side since I'm driving the show. I feel like this is a European-style uh-huh. broadcast scene. Yeah. No? Like, I'm riding sidecar right now. <laughs> That's what we need. I've always wanted one of those. Uh-huh. One of those motorcycles that you used to see in those old movies. You you love to be the sidecar? No, 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 no. No, <laughs> you no, no, no. If we have one of those bad boys, I'm driving the cycle. You're in the sidecar. Yeah, in my vision, uh-huh. you've got goggles, aviator goggles uh-huh. on, and, and you have scarf. a scarf. Yeah, like Snoopy. Basically, <laughs> I'm like Snoopy. Going down the freeway. Sidecar. Oh, by the way, I was in traffic on I-5 coming back from Autzen Stadium on Saturday night. It was uh, the normal kind of post-game parade that goes down, you know, heads north on I-5. I don't know if anybody, uh, <laughs> like the whole stadium is going north after the game. But uh, I was driving along. And all of a sudden, one of those motorcycle gangs came upon me. I was surrounded by these guys in leather jackets riding their uh, Harley-Davidson motorcycles. They were on my right. They were on my left. They were in front of me. And they kind of they didn't do that thing where motorcycles just kind of, you know how motorcycles in traffic will kind of go down the middle? Yeah. They kind of do that. I don't want to say it's cheating because I don't want to call out the biker gangs for cheating uh, like when they're driving. Because if you are driving a motorcycle... I do think if you can safely pass, you should. It is kind of annoying to the rest of us, though, when we're stuck in traffic after a football game. We're going, okay, these guys are going to get home uh, before we are, wherever they're going. I don't know if they're going home. But um, but they didn't do that. They kind of just stayed as a herd. And I wanted to roll down the window and be like, do you guys know you can drive? Like, they were stopping, like, with the stop-and-go traffic. It was weird. They were responsible. I don't, I don't think it is responsible. I, I think they should be. If you have a motorcycle, if you have the right, this is like Nick Sirianni and the Eagles. Oh, we're going to get to the tush push in a minute here. They say the play's legal. Why shouldn't we be able to run it? I say if you can legally drive your motorcycle down that dotted line on I-5, you should do it. It's the tush push mentality. 
I think it extends to everybody here. By the way, can we talk for a second on whether or not the tush push is even a legitimate football play? It makes me so mad. I was watching that game last night. I have no dog in the fight. I don't really care if the Dolphins win or the Eagles win on most days. But I am looking at this game, and I'm watching the Eagles in crunch time on any kind of fourth down and short situation convert a couple of those rugby-style plays where they line up and they just essentially push Jalen Hurts a couple yards down the field. It doesn't look like a football play. I think it should be banned. Uh, I noticed that some people on Twitter felt the same way, and they just got absolutely ambushed by the Eagles fans. So I'm glad I didn't tweet it because I really don't like. I don't want to get into that with on Twitter, but I want to get into it on the radio show. Is it a legitimate play? And if so, can we define what else is a legitimate and not a legitimate football play? Because I'm having a hard time with the tush push. And on the way over here, we're driving. Anna says, you know the issue with the tush push is? She says it's a branding issue. It is. What do you mean? Well, first of all, I was surprised at how irate you got about the tush push last night. You're watching this game. We're with the girls. And your blood is just boiling. I've never seen you that upset about something arbitrary like that. And I, I I couldn't figure out, like, why it upsets you so much. Because it, it I don't want to say it's cheating because it's within the rules, yeah. as the Eagles would tell you. But I think here I think there's one way to stop it. You, you I, literally screamed at the television, that's not football. It's not, because you get to fourth down and one, and what you're supposed to do as a normal team on fourth and one is you either run a play or you punt the ball. But instead, the Eagles turn into a rugby team. And they get the first down, and it's almost impossible to stop that play. And frankly, I think the only way to stop it is to hurt Jalen Hurts. And I think it's kind of what Oregon State and Oregon did on the goal line a few years ago in the Civil War game, where Oregon State's quarterback got hurt trying to quarterback sneak into the end zone. You you send a uh, you send a uh, fast guy off the end of the line of the scrimmage and try to get a side shot on the quarterback if you can stand him up. And so I think ultimately somebody will figure out how to stop it, but I don't think it should be a football play. And people keep bringing out these grainy black and white <laughs> videos of like 1906 look at Yale was running the same damn play well, Yale. but that was before the forward <laughs> pass was invented like all right I understand that but what I don't get is why this is a thing and it really it changed the game like the Eagles should have punted that should have been a compelling game in the fourth quarter they either should have punted or given up the ball if they don't get the first down instead they run this play I don't think it should be able to aid a ball carrier as a ball carrier is trying to, you shouldn't be able to push on his back. You shouldn't be able to pick him up. You can't do it in baseball. You can't go around the bases and pick up a base runner that's fallen down. You know, nobody can aid a base runner. So you should not be able to do <laughs> it in football. totally different. I think the biggest problem with the tush push is that it's called the tush push. I think if we rebranded it with something a little more strategic sounding, you wouldn't have such a problem with well, it. Well, the Eagles want to call it the brotherly shove. i'm not sure that's better Uh, but the eagles are converting it at like 90 percent which is kind of silly and so they're not going to have the dolphins are saying hey legitimately you know the problem was that we couldn't stop it and there were other problems i mean there were breakdowns in the secondary there's missed blocks here and there so it's not like the whole game comes down to that but it's such you know the last two minutes of the game it's such an important time of the game and if you are the miami dolphins you're you're like well aware that you know, the e- you have to hold the Eagles to seven yards or less. 
maybe eight yards at most on the first three downs, or they're going to get a first down. So there's only eight yards in the first down for the Philadelphia Eagles on the final drive of the game. Like, that's not football. It's not. I'll take your phone calls. Do you like it or don't you like it? The tush push. 503-417-7575. Stephen, all right, I put you uh, on the committee, the rules committee in the NFL. What do you say to the tush push? It's tough because there's other teams in the NFL that do it and aren't as successful as the Eagles. So the Eagles are doing it right. Like it's it's the combination offensive line and what you said, Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, you know, he squats 600 pounds. Like that's legendary stuff that he's known about. So, on one hand, I think it's okay, but I find it a very boring play. And I'm I find it I find myself when I watch the Eagles, me thinking the Eagles are very boring and not fun to watch because of it. Because I know, like you said, if it's third and three, it's an automatic first down. Because they can just go tush push yeah. two straight plays, right? And it's just it's kind of lame to me. So if I was on the rules committee, I ban it because I I don't like the fact that it's just a guarantee first down for the Eagles when they get it that close, and and it's just not as much fun to watch their games. Well, as mentioned in a recent five at five, in a rare incident in which the five at five actually had some newsworthy <laughs> news. news. <laughs> Let me reference this: uh, the the season, as it comes to an end, will have the NFL taking a hard look at this play. They'll be deciding whether this is going to continue. It's only been legal in the NFL since 2005. That's a long time. It's only been since two. I thought you were going to say since like 2019. Anything after the 2005? year 2000 feels recent you know, to me. That was a while ago. But does like, it make a difference that the Eagles are really the only team that are this successful? Other teams try it and they're just not as good as it. The Giants tried it and they got like two offensive linemen and their quarterback hurt. So well, like, that's what's going to happen. I mean, because you know, you saw the defensive line for the Miami Dolphins. All they're doing is submarining the Eagles' offensive line. At some point, Jalen Hurts is going to get hurt. He's going to get hurt, or offensive line is going to get hurt. And I think that should be the reason why they don't do it. But I, I, I agree with you, it's boring. I also think, like, all right, if the Eagles think it's le- legit and it's legal, why not just run it every play? They should just do that every play right down the field. Because you know what? I think they could get first downs that way. You know, what do they average on that thing? Two and a half, three yards a carry? They would get first downs. <laughs> just run it every play, all game long. That's the offense. And see how many people tune in, see how many people show up and buy tickets. It's boring. It's boring, and it's, someone's going to get hurt, and it's not football, worst of all. It's a, it's a, a, it's a bastard play is what it is. I said it. I said it. I, I called it what it is. Uh, we have a good show for you today. We're going to talk about USC, the shine coming off Lincoln Riley. I don't mean to laugh. If you're a USC fan, uh, you know, it's been a glorious season for you and a probably a pretty rough 48 to 72 hours as Utah – as uh, yours truly predicted, beat USC on Saturday. I had it 34-31. It ended up 34-32. I was a little off. I had a uh, maybe I had a bad day that day. I missed it by a point. But uh, Stephen, I was not surprised that Utah won that game. Utah's tougher. They are more physical. They are more resilient. They don't have better players. They have a pig farmer at quarterback in Bryson Barnes, and they go out and they beat the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, and they beat USC. They out tough them. They out-resilient them, or they have more metal. They have just—it's—it's it's coaching and it's toughness. And uh, you know, I—I I think USC will win games this season, but I think they're going to be in some moments against Oregon and against Washington in particular that they're going to be in real trouble. So I see at least one, maybe two losses on the horizon for USC. And gosh, the fans in, in Southern California have turned on Lincoln Riley. Are you surprised by that, Stephen? 
I'm not because think about it this way. Like, this is what happened in Oklahoma, too. Like, they had unbelievable offenses and the defenses were poor, and then they never made adjustments. And that's exactly what he's done here at USC. And we always talk about coaching and how to evolve. And even Kyle Whittingham, like, he's evolved his coaching game to where his team is different now. And so I'm not, I'm not shocked that fans are turning on because the, if this is the peak of what Lincoln Riley is, it's not what they paid him for. They're paying him $10 million to win a national championship. And yes, they had a great first year, but you bring back the Heisman winning quarterback. The defense hasn't improved. Like, I don't know. I, I, I'd be upset if I was a USC fan as well, because I was shocked that they lost. Like, you look on paper, USC should dominate Utah, especially at home in a game like this when Bryson Barnes is a starting quarterback. But it didn't happen. And Utah was going up and down the field on USC. That defense showed no resistance. Caleb Williams is a one-man band out there. Like, it, it just it's gotten worse. And so I thought when Lincoln Riley was hired there, it would take two, three years, and they'd be national title contenders. But instead, we're in the middle of year two, and it looks like they're going to be in the middle of the pack at the Pac-12. Like, you're right. They're going to be another two, you know, one, two, maybe three losses on this schedule for USC. USC, after the game, Lincoln Riley comes out. He speaks to media. He has this weird exchange with the reporter that he, by the way, suspended earlier this season. Reporter says to him, um, you know, has this, is this causing you to reevaluate or reframe your expectations? Lincoln Riley says, you know, I don't know where that narrative came from. It's not about national championships. And you, I, frankly, all you have to do is go back to his introductory news conference where he said it was about national championships uh, to refute that. And then USC did not allow its players to speak to the media. Bill Plachke on the Dan Patrick Show addressed that. Just the way the team lost. The, the, the USC defense continues to just be horrible, and Lincoln Riley won't do anything about it. The offense is disconnected, and Lincoln Riley won't do anything about it. And then after the game, really bothers him. For the first time in USC history, the players weren't allowed to talk to the media because like, Lincoln Riley went in to avoid all the noise. This is a town of noise. This is a town built on noise. This is this is L.A. You don't avoid the media. You don't avoid accountability. and You don't avoid the educational process that letting kids talk to the reporters, you know, gains them. The whole program is just in a, it's, it's a mess. And Lincoln Riley was paid $10 million a year to fix this last year. All these championship hopes. So, yes, I was kind of bothered by everything, Dan. Biggest offense, is it? The play on the field, or Anna, is he, is Bill Plaschke right? Is there a lost educational opportunity in that players don't get a chance to talk to the media, face the music, be accountable after a game? They're hiding out in the locker room. I think it's kind of like when you have an over-involved parent, like a helicopter parent that rushes in to save a kid from a bad grade or bail them out of trouble when they screw up at school. It's kind of like in the short term. Lincoln Riley may think that he's doing his favors a player by saving them the distress of having to face the music, but in the long term, there's a great lesson to be learned there um, for them to have to deal with that loss. Maybe it makes them stronger in the long term. Maybe it gives them more resolve for the rest of the season. And it's like you have, like as a parent, you have to let your kids feel failure and disappointment. Right. And if you curb that. Um, maybe they would have a better rest of the season by feeling the true agony of defeat that comes with dealing with media asking them the tough questions. And here's the other thing. like I, I actually don't mind if a player, either in victory or defeat, says, hey, I don't feel like talking today. I actually don't mind that. 
I'll make note of it. Like that's a personal. But when USC says we're not making anyone available, that's crap. And that's you know Lincoln Riley. That is a very. I think that's a small person who is in charge of that program. And I think we saw a symptom of it earlier in the season, where he tries to suspend the reporter who uh, you know was dared to use the first name of the university president and dared to report things that he actually saw. Uh, and, you know, that was a symptom. Now we're seeing bigger symptom, and there's a larger problem within the program. I think USC's in trouble. And, and I think they're in trouble for a couple reasons. Look, they've got a really good offense. They can score points. But I don't think they can stop anybody, and I think they are soft. They are weak. They are not a tough team, and you can see it in the Utah players. Utah played a backup quarterback who Kyle Whittingham, you'll hear his comment in a moment, where he, you know, it's a pig farmer. Bryson Barnes comes from a town of 3,000 people. He's the backup quarterback. He wasn't even on scholarship until earlier this year. He was a walk-on. Okay, he's the quarterback that beat USC in the, in the raising, reigning Heisman Trophy winner. He's got a running back who was a converted safety. Didn't even start the year as a running back, but they've been so decimated by injuries, they took a defensive back and put him at running back for the game. He ends up, you know, with 150 total yards in the game. And the coaching staff at Utah, just a, I think it was a legendary performance. I, uh, we're going to have Kyle Whittingham on the, on the show this week. We'll talk with him about it. But I just think that coaching staff, you know, there are two staffs in particular in the Pac-12 that I really look at and go, hey, they really do a lot with what they have. It's Utah and it's Oregon State. And, and those are the two best, I think, the two best cultures in the conference. I think Oregon and Washington have more talent, and they have solid culture. But I think Utah and Oregon State, they take three-star kids, and they just go nose-to-nose -nose with anybody, anywhere, anytime. But what does the star system even mean, really, then? Because USC is obviously attracting the four- and the five-star athletes to its program. Well, I, they're going to get better players, but that's not better culture. And, and better, you know, it's like I keep thinking about what Pat Casey said back in the day at Oregon State when, you know, he was – coaching baseball and he was in Omaha for the College World Series and I had this walk to church with him on one Sunday morning. We we walked down the street and I said, Pat, they were playing North Carolina in the in the World Series championship and I said, they've got better players. They've got North Carolina has players that are drafted higher, were better major league prospects, better players. And he looked over and he said, I don't need all the good players. I just need some of them. And that's what Utah and Oregon State do really well. Now, Oregon, get, you're never going to turn away those players. Like Dan Lanning at Oregon and Kalen DeBoer at Washington are never going to turn them away. But I think those two coaches do a better job or have done a better job in the last two years of developing their guys, creating some cohesion. Because let's face it, sometimes the four- and five-star players are used to being the best player on their team. They're used to jumping around from 7-on-7 seven seven team to 7-on-7 seven seven team, switching high schools. They're used to being treated a certain way. It's harder for those players, I think, to join in and be part of something that is bigger than themselves. It just feels like they're a front-runner program, right? Like, if things are going great, that's when we hear about it. If things are going bad, they're going to you know, deflect and go away. I feel like it's almost what we kind of thought Colorado might be. Like, things could go bad and it goes really yeah. bad. Looking at USC's schedule at Cal, then home Washington. At okay, that's Oregon. a win. They're going to win at Cal. They're going to win at Cal. Then uh, home Washington. Lose. Road Oregon. Lose. Home UCLA. Wheels are off. 
they're going to lose to UCLA too. So I mean, and that's the thing. Yeah. Like it just seems like a, such a front runner program, and Lincoln Riley is the face of it, and it and it makes a lot of sense. Um, that's how they are just as a team with all these transfers. You're right. Like it's not about the culture. It's not about buying in. It's about you know what. It's being the you know the glitz and glamour in L.A. And when we win, we're all be talking about it. When we lose, we're just going to roll away and act like nothing happened. Let's go to Lonnie, who's in Springfield, listening on Fox Sports. Eugene, Lonnie wants to talk about the Tush Push. Lonnie, what do you got? Well, hey, thanks, John, for taking my call. And I just real quick, I just want to say I'm a big fan of your show, and and thank you guys for always bringing such good entertainment to our, our thank afternoons. Thank you. Um, God, man, it's been a great show, though. I mean, now you're talking about other stuff that I want to talk about, but I'll stick with the Tush Push here. Um, I hope that the way I explain this makes sense, but I, I kind of just feel like yeah, that maybe the the person with the ball should only be able to advance the ball with their own momentum, if that makes sense. Like, yes. There's one thing to be behind a blocker. You know, they're not make, they're not pushing you. They're not you're not riding them or, or whatnot. But if the, the player behind you, if they're the reason why you're even getting across the the first down line or the goal line, I, I just feel like that's that's maybe that's where we should draw the line or write the rules a little differently. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I think, you know, the NFL has done a good job of trying to make the game safer. Now, Jalen Hurts has not been injured yet. His teammates have not been injured yet. They're having great success with this play. But I think, you know, it kind of reminds me of, like, on the field goal rule where you can't hurdle a player. I agree with that. You shouldn't be able to jump on top of the center who has just snapped the ball and jump off his shoulder pads and try to block the kick. Like, you probably could do it. They could just, you know, every team could have, you know, an Olympic uh, high jumper and let them jump onto the shoulder pads of the long snapper and then jump up and block the uh, extra point. You know, it, it's just, it's not football. So I hope they look at it and come to their senses. Coming up, we'll play some punch and audio. Christian Capel, who covers Washington football, will be joining us at 4 o'clock. Is Michael Penix Jr. hurt? There's some smoke there. Is there anything to that? We'll talk about it coming up. Today's show is taking place inside Milwaukee Lumber. If you're in the neighborhood, stop on by. We're in their Milwaukee location, Old Town Milwaukee, broadcasting uh, right in uh, their beautiful showroom, which you should see. If you've got a uh, home improvement project that you need to work on, you should include Milwaukee Lumber in that project because you won't just be buying supplies. You'll be buying all their expertise and uh, believe me, they've got decades and decades of it. Roy in Portland's called in. We've been talking about USC and the mess at USC. I've got to play something before I bring on Roy. Uh, Mike Bone, the former athletic director at USC, when he hired Lincoln Riley at that introductory news conference where they had the Trojans marching band and they had the dance team, and it's a lot of hoopla. When we began this process, our goal was to find the right leader for USC and our football players. It was never our goal to change the landscape of college football with one of the biggest moves in the history of the game, but we did exactly that. Guy was pounding on his own chest when he said that. Roy in Portland's called in, USC, the shine has come off. Roy, what do you see? Hey, John. Um, we saw this with Lincoln Riley. This is what Lincoln Riley does, man. He, you know, he, he, if you want a coach that can get your uh, quarterback the Heisman Trophy, he's the best one for you. But as far as being an overall head coach, Lincoln Riley is not the guy. And, John, I look, I look at Oregon. 
I look at uh, Dan Lanning. I look at Kalen DeBoer at Washington. I look at Chip Kelly at UCLA. I see, like, what are they doing? Dan Lanning, Chip Kelly, and Kalen DeBoer are building Big Ten teams. Dan, Dan Lanning is building a Big Ten team. He knows what he's going. He's got a tough running team, tough defense. So is Chip Kelly, and so is Kalen DeBoer. Out of all the four teams, USC is going to get crushed in the Big Ten. The rest of the teams, I'm not worried about. You can put those teams in there right now, and they'd be the best team in the Big Ten in the Big Ten East. Uh, Oregon, Washington, or UCLA would be the best team. I even say I would even say Oregon State would be the best team in the Big Ten East. You know who? Uh, you know how I see in the Big Ten, like who has that style is Utah. Could you see Utah yeah. playing in the Big Ten? I mean, they're they're oh, not gonna they're okay. not gonna back down from anybody. Uh, definitely. And another thing is, John is Jonathan Smith. I'm sorry, Oregon State fans. I mean, I just don't see him being there long term. I'm hearing Michigan State wants. He's too good of a coach. Uh, teams are going to come out in with millions of dollars, especially if he beats Oregon and Washington coming up, which I think he has a good chance to beat one of those teams. I mean, he, he's just an all-star coach. He's too good to coach in the big uh, in the in the Mountain West Conference and. I see. I see big. I see big universities throwing big time money at him to come coach. Uh, so um, I, I don't. I don't know how long he stays there at Oregon State. Yeah, I think you. Yeah, I think you're right in that. I think he's going to get a lot of attention. His agent happens to be Jimmy Sexton, who was the agent formerly for Jimbo Fisher, for Willie Taggart, for um, uh, you know. I think he's Chip Kelly's agent as well. He tends to do well by his clients. Uh, Sexton's a uh, a big shot, and I think he will either leverage Oregon State. Like if Jonathan Smith really wants to stay at Oregon State, and that and he wants to make it his forever place, I think um, his agent will, in short order, leverage that into an extension. Now, if he doesn't, his buyout is a mere three million dollars for um, you know this next year or so, and that has to scare Oregon State just a little bit. We're gonna play some punch it audio coming up at four o'clock. We're going to get a visit from Christian Capel. Is Michael Penix Jr. hurt? I need Capel to answer that question. Arizona State went right at him, made him look very ordinary. Two interceptions in the game. They were shooting the A-gap. I put a video of it that I put together uh, in today's mailbag. If you subscribe at johnconzano.com, you got that. You can check out that video. It just shows what Arizona State was doing to him. And I think his mobility is definitely affected. And then the interior offensive line at Washington is, Washington is really beat up right now. And they've got a bunch of backup players playing and one guy out of position. They could, the center is now playing guard. It's just a, a little bit of a mess on the interior offensive line for Washington. I think Roy's right. I think Oregon State is a real threat to beat one or both the Ducks and the Huskies and throw maybe a, a little bit of a wrinkle or a wrench into the uh, Pac-12 championship game. I still think there's going to be a tiebreaker. I think there are going to be multiple teams tied with probably two losses for that second spot. And I think a one-loss team will go. Uh, if you lose one game in Pac-12 play, I think you have a really good shot of being in Las Vegas. If you lose two, I think you're probably in a three-way tie for that second spot. I think it's going to be messy. All right, let's play some punch it audio. Here we go. 
Truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Let's start with the end of the Utah-USC game on Fox. Here it is. Uh, Game winner Bryson Barnes scrambles to set it up. And then a subsequent... 38-yard game-winning field goal. Punch it. Second down for Barnes. Pressure coming. He runs. Barnes across the 40, and he's inside the 20. Bryson Barnes, unbeaten as a starter in college football, gets 26 yards just on scholarship earlier this year. And now Utah is in position for a field goal. Four straight times Utah has defeated USC. Here's the call on Utah Radio. Bill Riley on the call. Out of the hold of Jack Baumeister. The snap is back. The kick is away. It is up, and it is good. It's good. It's good. And the Utes have beat the Trojans at the Coliseum. Final score, Utah. 35, no, 34, and USC 32. Oh, what house. a finish tonight here in Southern California. 34-32, Utah wins it. Cole Becker drills it from 38 yards, and Utah has escaped Southern California and beat the Trojans for a fourth consecutive game. Look, if you were listening last week, Thursday and Friday, I told you Utah would score 34. That was the number that Utah needed to get to. I saw that because I looked at what Cal did to Utah on the defensive side of the ball. I looked at USC. I don't think USC's defense is any better. And I felt like Utah really could hold USC in the low 30s or even the high 20s. If not for a pick six, this game isn't really that close. It's probably uh, you know more like a 31-24 win for Utah. But great game uh, plan by Kyle Whittingham. He uh, MacGyvered it again. He's got a defensive back at running back. He's got, uh, you know, the pig farmer at quarterback. And uh, here he is talking about the pig farmer. Here's Kyle Whittingham after the big win. Punch it. They got a Heisman Trophy winner quarterback. And so they're going to make some things. And, and that's just the way it is. But we got a, we got ourselves a pig farmer at quarterback. So so uh, we're, we're proud of that guy, too. I love him. <laughs> Kyle Whittingham having some fun with it. Looking ahead, John, uh, Oregon at Utah this week. Utah again, another seven-point home underdog this week. Uh, isn't that too many points? It's too many points at Rice Eccles Stadium. That's a really close game in my estimation. But we'll talk more about it. I want to let it simmer a little bit. I'm not ready to make a pick on that game. I want to see how healthy is everybody. Is Bucky Irving practicing? Does anybody know yet? Like you know, I I know he left the game, but then he was back on the sideline, and so I want to know he's all right. I want to know everybody's at full strength, but. This is a, uh, a Utah team that is uh, really tough to beat at Rice-Eccles Stadium. I think it's 17 or 18 in a row that they've won there. It's been a uh, it's been a tough place for Oregon in particular to win. We know what happened there two years ago. But I think the Ducks are more talented, right? They're more talented. I, I think they're physical. 
But I think it's going to be a hell of a game. I think it is the game of the week in the Pac-12. Dan Lanning talking about Bucky Irving. His star running back had 180 total yards receiving and rushing against Washington State. Ducks with a 38-24 win on Saturday at Autzen Stadium. Punch it. I'd say his heart's pounding out of his chest. Right, This dude's so passionate. Um, he cares so much for his teammates. He never goes down on first contact. Um, really selfless player. Uh, and I think that shows up when you watch this guy play on the field. Bucky Irving is Oregon's best player. I know Bo Nix has the billboard. I know that he's the quarterback. He's a really important player. Bo Nix is. It's no disrespect. But Bucky Irving is Oregon's most valuable player. He is the guy when things are going right, he's making plays. He is the guy that opposing defenses have to account for first. And you better believe it. I can tell you right now that the Utah coaching staff, they're not holed up going, how do we stop Bo Nix? They are holed up saying, how do we stop Jordan James? How do we stop Bucky Irving? Because if Oregon can run the ball, it opens up so much more. Oregon uh, moving on to Utah. Washington still trying to figure out what happened last weekend. Late in Washington's game against Arizona State, a pass interference call that was a no call has everybody talking. Punch it. Okay. Going for it. Incomplete. And a flag comes in late. There is no foul on the play. The contact is illegal. Second down. Look at the grab. Oh, wow. That's tough. I'm surprised the back judge allowed that. To the field judge right there on the sideline, he can't see that. Four game. Huskies going the other way. Touchdown, Washington. Washington. Walks off winners. Home field definitely mattered in that game. Really spirited performance by Arizona State. I texted with Kenny Dillingham, the Arizona State coach, uh, late last night. Just told him it was really fun to watch his team compete. He's got his guys playing. He's shorthanded. He has eight starters who are out, eight scholarship players who are injured. But Arizona State gave Washington all it could handle. Kalen DeBoer did not look happy on the sideline. Here's Washington's coach, punch it. Proud of our team, and, and a win's a win, you know, and there's a lot of teams that don't find ways to get through that. Um, you know, it was a struggle in different ways, and, um, you know, just finding a way to get the dub um, is huge. And, uh, you know, we can get back and, and go to work and, and uh, you know, learn from it um, and, you know, be better because of it. Um, been doing this for a lot of years, and some dominant teams that get pushed to, the limits in games that uh, maybe you didn't expect it to be uh, what it was. So, um, again, proud that we found a way. I think finding ways to win in different, you know, th with our defense, you know, today, doing what they did, um, it only makes us stronger. He didn't look happy on the sideline. That was part of Washington's uh, night. Like, you know, Kalen DeBoer, you know, so there was bad, there was undisciplined play, there were personal fouls. There were, um, you know, it was just not great play by Washington. And, and there's some questions about Michael Penix Jr.'s health, right? You know, we'll find out more about it at 4 o'clock. Did he get hurt in the Oregon game? Two of the last three games, though, he hasn't had a touchdown pass. He had two interceptions against Arizona State. Either the book is out on how to attack him, and Arizona State certainly blitzed the A-gap, tried to make him uncomfortable, or he's there's something going on. Is there's some smoke there? Do you think okay. that do you think it's an indictment on Washington's 
team, or is it just more of an emotional lay, uh, let, what emotional uh, layoff? Letdown? Letdown, yeah. yes, yeah. letdown from the Oregon game. I, I think they're both Oregon and Washington had emotional letdowns. And, and unfortunately, Washington was playing Arizona State team that absolutely came to play. Those guys were flying around. But I think so much of Washington's attack and their identity is built around Penix Jr. that if he's not right, they have a big problem because guess what? They can't run the ball. They are a non-factor running the ball. Like I, the the comment I had at the end, towards the end of the game is Arizona State's defensive backs could not get a pass interference call, and Washington could not get a yard on the run on the run game, and so puts a lot of pressure on Penix Jr. And if he's not healthy, I don't think Washington is very good if he's not healthy. And so it'll be really important for Washington to get him healthy. Jonathan Smith. Talking about the opponent he has this week. They're going to Tucson. We'll play Arizona. Punch it. Yeah, they made a huge jump defensively this year. This is one of the better defenses statistically um, in the league. Um, sound, uh, make you earn it. Uh, they can, they've gotten bigger, stronger at the defensive front and the coverage recognition. They do a good job of the disguise. So that that's something that's going to be a challenge uh, offensively. Coach Fish knows what he's doing on offense. They got a couple big time playmakers on the outside. Play more than one back, similar to us, and so they've got they've got weapons, and it's a balanced offense. It'll be a dicey game for Oregon State. Look, I, I all year I've been saying home teams in the Pac-12 that home field advantage. It's not three points. It's not three and a half. It's not five. I think it's more like six or seven. And in some places, I think it's eight or nine or maybe even ten point swing. On the point spread, Rice-Eccles Stadium, Utah, tough place to win. Autzen Stadium, Oregon, really difficult place to win. Reeser Stadium might be the biggest home field advantage in the conference. Husky Stadium, really hard place to play. Martin Stadium in Pullman, really difficult place to play. Tucson, not as much, but it's still worth five or six points in my book. And I think, you know, Oregon State has been a very different team at home than they were on the road. And, in fact, Jonathan Smith talked about that. You know, their defense gives up 285 yards a game at home, 421 per game on the road. Here's Jonathan Smith on that point. Yeah, I don't know if I can put my finger right on it. I, I You know, the run defense definitely showed up against Cal. Um, some explosive plays. Uh, you know, the two road games I'm thinking about, Cal and, and Washington State. Washington State played lights out. Give them some credit there. They made some plays in both the pass game and the run game. So, um Look, I, we're confident in the defense. We understand that week in and week out, these opponents we're playing are good, and we're going to have to tighten up some details. I think part of the problem is they played two decent offensive teams on the road. Washington State, I think, is a decent offense with Cam Ward. And Cal, look, for, for, for all their sins, Cal, for some reason this season, playing a little bit of offense, not playing a lot of defense. So I think that has something to do with it. But that spread in the Oregon yeah. State-Arizona game, I was a little shocked by it. Oregon State only a three-and-a-half-point favorite right now. Maybe that changes by kickoff. That doesn't but. surprise me. I, I think they're a different team at home. If this game's at Research Stadium, they are winning by double digits. Double digits, yeah. Yeah. But on the road, it's just different. And so those teams, like like I think the biggest obstacle Utah had was they were going to the L.A. Coliseum to play USC. They weren't getting them at Rice-Eccles Stadium. But we'll, all week long, we're going to be all over this. I'm asking for Kirk Herbstreet to come on the show. I've asked ESPN to give Herbie uh, a shot to come on this show. Game day will be in Salt Lake City. Kyle Whittingham will be on the show. Jonathan Smith will be on the show. We'll get Dan Lanning on the program. Uh, a lot of big guests coming uh, this week. And Nick Aliotti coming on Wednesday's show, former Oregon D coordinator, now with the Pac-12 Network. we got big guests ahead. I want you to leave it here. We're broadcasting today 
from Milwaukee Lumber. We're in Old Town, Milwaukee. Stop by if you're in the neighborhood. Your home of the truth, John Canzano, live from Milwaukee Lumber on 750 The Game. We're at Milwaukee Lumber. That's in Old Town, Milwaukee. Stop by if you are in the neighborhood. We're broadcasting today right up to Monday Night Football, leading right into the game. That game kicks off at 5-11 Pacific time. Mark is in Portland. Mark wants to talk about the Pac-12 conference. Guess what, Mark? I have a fun fact for you. This weekend, this Saturday, all six Pac-12 games will feature teams that will not be in the same conference next season. For example, Utah in the Big 12 playing Oregon, who will be in the Big 10. Oregon State in the Pac-2 wow. playing Arizona, who will be in the Big 12. There's no matchups. This is the last weekend this happens. These are all final meetings, yeah. as we know. I want to make a, a call out there, uh, the SEC honks, the, even the Big 10. Arizona State is arguably at the bottom of the Pac-12 right now. And if you were watching that game at, you know, at the uh, – 12 o'clock at night or whatever yeah. on the East Coast. Uh, yes, I was. Washington was getting dominated, really. I mean, not dominated, but they were getting beat. It was a defensive game. Washington's offense did not score a touchdown in that game. And we had another controversial call up 7-6. to six. What is it with these coaches? They don't like four-point leads when the offense on the other team can't score a touchdown. That, I know he missed a couple of long field goals, but that drove me nuts. Um Another stat for, for everybody in the conference as far as Washington, I don't care about their overall defense, but on fourth and three, they're pretty good, John. I mean, that was what the Arizona play, Arizona State play was, I think, was fourth and three. Yeah. This, I'm going to tell you the scenario. Uh, it, this is my matrix. Florida okay. State and Oklahoma, one of those teams has to lose for any one-loss Pac-12 team to get in. Because if you – are a one-loss conference champion, and you're up against Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, or Alabama, you're out. So uh, we need if, if Florida State and Oklahoma go undefeated, a one-loss Pac-12 team will not get in. That Washington's the only team that's left. I mean, we're not going to get in ahead of an undefeated Oklahoma or an undefeated Florida State. So if Oregon wins out, Oregon State wins out, they, they're not necessarily in yet. They need one of those two teams to lose, Florida State or Oklahoma. Yeah, and I think, I think right now I think the Pac-12 teams are mostly focused on getting to the championship game because it is like a funnel right now. There are six teams that have two or fewer losses in conference play, and I don't know who's going to get there right now. Right now I'd pick Washington probably and the winner of the Civil War to get there. Mike is in Portland. Mike, follow that up. Go ahead. So first of all, John, I wanted to come call and clarify something. When you talk about Eugene being the hard place to play football, you're giving credit, in my opinion, to the Ducks' play. But there's other things that's, in, that's going on behind the scenes. The Oregon Ducks locker room, visitors' locker room, is rated as one of the worst locker rooms in the Pac-12. The locker, the locker room is so cramped until there ain't no room. They can't even huddle up during halftime uh, and the coach talk to his team. they got to do it outside yeah. the building. Yeah, there so, are a couple that are really bad. Stanford's really bad, too. It's like an adobe hut that is outside the stadium. But I think you're, I think you're, uh, you're talking about the Colorado game, aren't you? No I'm, 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 no, I'm just telling you, I looked at it how they were rated. And, and they said they make it. That yeah, way bad. on purpose because yeah. they don't want 
to give any kind of aid and comfort to the visiting team. I'm just saying, when you talk about that's a tough place to play, no, you got to tell the whole yeah. story. Well, that's part of it. Oregon State makes the opposing, the visiting team tro- have to cross the street and go into Gill Coliseum. I mean, it's not, well, I mean, it's I, not great. Just, I, that's all I'm saying. It yeah. ain't, it ain't, and for, as far as the Ducks, man, I'm not sold on the Ducks still. You yeah. know, the Ducks played maybe one good team all year. Yeah. I'm not sold on them. You know, they, they didn't okay. have 300 but let's, let's uniform Let's go back, get back to Colorado for a second, because I think you were really calling in because you want to get it off your chest. What what happened to Colorado? Colorado still have a chance to go to become bowl eligible. For yeah. the first year, for the first year, they're more outstanding than what Dan Landon did in his first year. Hey, he I got no I have no problem with what Colorado's going to do, but I, I got to see them finish the year. They they started it strong. I got to see them finish, Mike. Appreciate the call. I was trying to get him, give him a chance, Stephen, to say, hey, you know what? I was wrong. Colorado did not beat Oregon. He Remember, he was calling all that week, and then he, he hasn't called back. Called back once other time. He doesn't want to talk about it. Is um, yeah. I feel like all schools do that to their opponents, like the the yeah. visiting locker rooms. Yeah, like that's kind of yeah. psychological. It's it's it? a thing. It's a thing. You know who we should get over there? Should get these Milwaukee Lumber guys over there. Yeah, they get them to they build make a it new locker nice, room. Though. They make it too nice yeah. for the opponents. Uh, Brad has stepped in from Milwaukee Lumber. You were listening to that whole conversation. Brad Morris with Milwaukee Lumber stepped in. Could you uh, could you get down to Eugene? Could we use some of this Trex product and uh, build a nice locker room? Oh, definitely we could. Uh, we could get together and put quite a little display out there. You get that question, I'm sure people come through the doors and they say, okay, I'm building a deck this weekend, what do I do? Do yeah. you get that, or what range of customer comes through the doors? We get every range of customer. You can get lady building a tree house for her grandkids. You can get a custom home builder putting in a street of dreams. You kind of get everything coming in here. I love that. You guys, uh, we're here at the Milwaukee Lumber location. You guys, you mentioned this, that this was a lumber yard. It opened in what year? I think it was 1939. This has been here a while. Yeah. This has been a, this has been a go-to in this community and the surrounding area for a long time. I've, do you see do you see customers that come through the doors like that? That uh, Oh, yeah. There's, so this is my there's... spot. My grandpa came here, brought me as a kid, all that stuff. Oh, definitely. We get some people plan their day about coming here first thing in the morning before they go to the job site um you know it's a kind of a community staple i always say lumber fencing decking hardware and more Mm -hmm. you got it all oh yeah all around me right now as we're broadcasting brad i appreciate you and your family you you guys are big sports fans too oh yeah you root who are you rooting for these days uh well ducks of course yeah seahawks for NFL yeah. and Blazers. Are we at odds because you're a Seahawks fan and I'm a Niner fan, or are we okay? I, I we can always be good friends, but, yeah. you know, <laughs> there, there's going to be some rough weekends. <laughs> there be some rough ones. All right. Hey, I appreciate you guys having us here. If you're in the neighborhood, we're in Old Town, Milwaukee. Stop by Milwaukee Lumber. Uh, the BFT, 4 o'clock hour, still ahead. We are live from Milwaukee Lumber. We're in Old Town, Milwaukee today, broadcasting. We... Uh, if you're in the neighborhood, stop by. Give us a fist bump. You can pick up some BFT magnets and stickers. You can also meander around Milwaukee Lumber where, where they'll try to sell you a hammer or a hard hat or a 2x4. They are the experts when it comes to home improvement. Longtime sponsors of the show, longtime supporters of the BFT Foundation. We've been talking about all kinds of things on the show today. Lincoln Riley at USC. 
We've been talking about Washington and Arizona State. Oregon's got a big challenge this week at Utah. Oregon State trying to keep it going. It will be a race in the Pac-12 Conference. In the middle of it, our next guest, Christian Capel. He covers the University of Washington like nobody else. Great follow on social media. Shoots straight. I like that. He's not a homer. What's going on with Michael Penix Jr.? We want to know. We bring Christian Capel on the show. Onmontlake.com is the website. That's where he covers Washington. I encourage you to check it out. And he's joining us now. First of all, Christian, let's talk visiting locker rooms in the Pac-12 conference. We had a caller call in and say Oregon's visiting locker room is terrible. It creates a competitive advantage for the Ducks. Like, you've been around the conference. The visiting locker rooms are not uh, they are not uh, supposed to be like a five-star hotel, are they? No, yeah, I, I don't know that I've, I've – I guess a fun debate would be what's the best visiting locker room. I've never mm-hmm. asked anybody that. There you it's go. always the other way around. I feel like I feel like Cal's is pretty notorious for for being one of the worst in the conference. Uh, I've I've heard people say that about Husky Stadium. Also, it's pretty. You know, I've I've been in there before. It's actually right across from the the media room that they used to use in the stadium. And yeah, there's you know, it's pretty nondescript. They're folding chairs and lockers and showers and toilets, and that's about it. Yeah, I think they intentionally go out of their way to be that way. Saturday night, you had the game Saturday night. Man, I was watching that after the Oregon-Washington State game. I uh, tuned in, and, you know, Washington had its hands full. What did you see happening at Husky Stadium? Yeah, you know, Arizona State was bringing a ton of pressure defensively, and Washington just never countered it, never really had an answer for it. Um, Ryan Grubb, their offensive coordinator, kind of reinforced that today um, they had their press availability and he just said look a lot of times they got the look they wanted right zero zero um, pressures or um, you know man cover man pressures and you know they just didn't hit the matchups they didn't hit they weren't able to hit those shots downfield because they didn't protect you know he pointed out they had one Michael Penix Jr.'s second interception, which was a, a batted ball, um, had Romo Dunze wide open in the end zone, and it was max protect, seven guys in to to protect against seven defenders, and and they just didn't didn't match it up, just didn't execute it. So um, it was it was kind of strange that way, and you could tell Arizona State was really selling out, and and Washington never really made it pay made them pay for it. How much of of it was an emotional letdown from the Oregon game? Yeah, I think that's that's a thing, you know. I do think that's that's legit. Um, Kalen DeVore and Ryan Grubb were, you know, didn't really want to go that route. I think they they felt like they thought the energy was high and that their their heads were in the right place. And I will say, I mean, I, the crowd was a lot better than I was expecting. I thought it'd be a little bit of a letdown just from an atmosphere standpoint, right? Because how do you ever live up to what they had against Oregon? But it was a pretty good crowd, 68,000, and it was loud, and they were you know, into it and everything. So, yeah, I don't know how much um, it was just kind of what they'd expended to beat Oregon and having to get up and go play a 1-5 team seven days later. But, I, you know, I, I really just think ASU bothered them a lot with their pressure up the middle and, and you know, kind of were able to, to gum everything up they were trying to do that way. Penix uh, ends up with two interceptions three deflections in the game he you know it wasn't like he got sacked a whole bunch of times I think they only got to him maybe once but uh, when you look back at the Oregon game at the end of that game I kind of wondered 
Did he get hurt? Was he hobbling? Nobody really said anything. Of course, he's not going to say anything. But do you have a sense that there is something not right with Michael Penix? Yeah, it felt that way a little bit watching it just because, I mean, he he has been so consistent and so good, and his, his down games are so few and far between. I don't know how many you would even say he's had in 20 games at Washington now. Um, I did ask you know, Grubb and DeBoer about that today, and the, the term Grubb used was under the weather. Sounds like he's, he's maybe battling a little bit of illness. I've seen people kind of speculate on that too, right, that even kind of his sideline demeanor and it just seemed just seemed a little off. It just didn't seem quite like himself. Um, and of course, those sorts of things are are pretty nebulous, right? How do you how do you nail that down? And if he's thrown for 400 yards, we're, we're pointing that out. But um, it, it you know what Grubb said, he didn't think that there was anything wrong with him physically. So you know who knows? I, I'm that's something I'm I'm curious to see against Stanford. You know if they're a little better against whatever pressure they bring, or you know if he is still able to make those those far hash throws and really drive the ball. Uh, maybe he can silence some of that, or, or maybe it's something they continue to keep an eye on. As you look down the stretch uh, for Washington, you mentioned Stanford. There's a USC game. There's an Oregon State game. Uh, in your mind, is there one game that's circled right now on the calendar, or is it, hey, there's there's a gauntlet coming like everybody, you know, everybody else is facing a similar thing in the month of November? Yeah, I think at this point it's really about the whole gauntlet. You know, the one, I guess, especially after Saturday and watching, you know, just how much a, a, a successful, consistent amount of pressure can do to limit Washington's offense. I'm really curious to see how they match up against Utah and Seattle on November 11th and just the athletes they have defensively. And you know that Kyle Whittingham and Morgan Scalley are going to come with a really great game plan because they always do. And um, Utah's always tough anyway, but... I'm I'm really curious to see you know how they they stack up against you know trying to keep Jonah Ellis away from Michael Penix Jr. and um, you know how they're able to, to try to scheme their receivers open against that secondary too. I think that's going to be a really fun matchup. But geez, it's it's going to be everyone knows how tough it's going to be for them to win at least the stadium on November 18th. Um, USC has has uh, the shines come off of them them some, but. I still have a feeling that that November fourth trip to the Coliseum is going to be a challenge. So um, it really is just that whole slate. The you know the Arizona State fans upset about the non-call or the or the reversal on the call and pass interference. How is that going over in Washington's territory? Because I did see on social media some Husky fans who were saying, "Hey man, not happy with that performance." You know, not exactly dancing away from that game, but I guess the ex- that says a lot about the expectations at Washington. Yeah, definitely. Um, the yeah, that, not not sure what they're looking at on that pass interference they picked up because they threw the flag and then kind of conferred and then obvious you know the replay made really obvious there was a jersey pull. I know I've seen you know a lot of Husky fans I think would counter there was a a deep a deep shot to Jalen Polk I think it was in the first half um, where he kind of got brought down before the ball got there. So a lot of people saying oh well you know they missed one there too and then Washington fumbled on the next play so. Maybe that's sort of a, a butterfly effect thing. But, um, yeah, it, I, I think most people, you know, this is a team that's lost a lot of games over the years that it really shouldn't have. It seems like once a year they kind of have that, that inexplicable dud where you look, go back and look at them. Even last season, as feel-good as it was, you circle Arizona State, right? I mean, it was the same team last year. They fired their coach, and they were in the midst of a 3-9 and nine season and playing their their – backup quarterback for most of that game and then Washington still loses so 
I think most folks are, are at least pleased enough that that sort of inexplicable performance at least was still a victory this year. Um, and then I think that's kind of the, the glass-half-full version of it, right, that, well, at least when they, they played really poorly, they still found a way to win. So um, I, I think it did open up some concerns that, okay, maybe this offense isn't as unstoppable as people thought it was. Maybe there is a little bit of a formula to get after Michael Penix and, and gum things up for them. But, um, you know, it's, I think those feelings are, are not as severe after a, a, a bad win as opposed to a really embarrassing loss. Christian Capel, our guest on Montlake. Dot com is the website. He covers University of Washington football. Christian, uh, I want to pivot a little bit to look at the conference. I mean, I do, do think Arizona State, I was really impressed with them and texted with Kenny Dillingham last night, just told him, I was really impressed with the way his team played. They competed. They're in over their heads. I mean, you've got, you know, they're eight scholarships short. They're, they don't have the firepower of others. They're in a rebuild. But those guys were flying around. And then I look at Utah beating, beating USC, and you know with with a pig farmer at quarterback and a safety playing running back. What do you make of the conference as you look across the landscape? Yeah, I mean it's definitely as as tough one through twelve as it's been in a long time. And it was something I noted after the game that you know this obviously would have been a a horrible loss. I mean, an all-time horrible loss, especially from you know, from a conference perspective for Washington. But this 2023, you know, last place Arizona State team is a good tier or two above like Colorado last year or mm-hmm. Arizona the year before. Right? They don't have that just awful opponent. Um, that's an, an absolute automatic win for everybody. Although it is it is going to take uh, an upset, I think, for ASU to not finish 0 and 9. Um, but that speaks to the strength of the conference too, right? That the the numbers nine and ten teams in the standings are are still going to be really tough and could give you a game. And you know, like one of those programs I just mentioned, Arizona, that it took a miracle for them to not be 0 and 12 just two seasons ago. And now you know they could look at their schedule and say, gosh, you know, if not for an overtime result in in Starkville, and an overtime result, triple overtime result against USC, you know, maybe their arrow's pointing way up, pointing up as it is. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's the gosh dang of it, right, that these programs, these schools all have kind of went in on investing in football and taking it more seriously, and you've seen more commitment than ever, and this year you're kind of reaping the results, and when it's over, they go in their separate directions. It's kind of a bummer knowing that that's what, what waits at the end here. After the USC game, Lincoln Riley did not allow his players to speak to the media, said he wanted to keep him away from the noise. Could you ever foresee Kalen DeBoer pulling that after a disappointing loss? I probably couldn't, no. Um, you know, that's that, as it is at certain schools, and if it's like a really late kickoff or something, you might only get a couple guys like for, for time purposes, but that's not based on the result, right? I mean, that's like win, win big or, or lose big or whatever. That's just kind of the, the operating procedure. But yeah, that's uh, can't say I'm I'm too surprised based on uh, certain certain other media happenings around that program in the, over the last month or so. But um, yeah, it just kind of it just kind of goes to show what the vibe is there yeah. right now, right? It's, it's not good. Yeah, and I think it's just so disappointing because, and I, maybe you can help listeners understand it from a beat perspective. When you're trying to tell a story after a game, it's not like you're there to, you know, 
uh, embarrass the players, but you really want to hear from them as a reporter because you're the conduit to the fan base. And when the coaching staff cuts the players off and says, hey, I don't want to let them speak, they're just eliminating that connection with their fan base. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really right. You kind of said it. That's all we're trying to do is um, take people further inside a game than just what they saw on television or what they saw live at the stadium and hear from the people who played and, and were on the field for those critical plays, you know, exactly what happened or didn't happen or you know their thoughts or their opinions. And you know, especially, I think, when USC is a program like USC is in the spot that it's in, having lost two games in a row and you know, now probably on the outside looking into the college football playoff picture and all those sort of things, um, you want to hear from the team leaders. You want to hear from kind of the seniors and, and the people who usually speak for the team and just, you know, kind of be able to pass along to your readers or your, your listeners or whoever might be the, the, the vibe of the program. And here's here's kind of what the, the people with the, the best pulse of this thing think about it. So it is disappointing. You know, I've thought about this too. Like people like you and me who are independent, you know, let's say you're you're covering um, that. That was a home game for USC, but if that happens on the road, right? You've kind of made that investment just for that access. Mm-hmm. And now it's not there. You know, that that sort of thing would be would be pretty frustrating too. Yeah, and I think it just to me too. I try to put myself in the shoes of the athletes. Christian, I covered Indiana basketball 1998-1999. Bobby Knight did a similar thing after a disappointing loss. Instead of uh, you know, in the post game news conference. He sent out two freshman players who didn't even suit up and didn't play in the game. And these guys are here to talk about the game. It was just a big F you to the media who were in the room. And and I thought, gosh, what a lost opportunity to let a kid stand and speak about a disappointing moment and and have a chance to uh, convey their frustration or maybe their optimism about the next week. And it almost says, I don't trust you to say the right thing when you're the head coach. And I think that message, you know, has, it creates a little bit of a fissure in the locker room. You know, I think it was Lorenzo Romar, Washington's former men's basketball coach, who said once that it was, this was around the time when it was becoming pretty common for um, football and basketball programs, especially to limit freshman um, interviews, limit access to freshmen from the media he always let freshmen talk, and, and I think his explanation was basically like, look, you know, whether every single one of these guys makes the NBA or not, the fact is they all think they're going to make the NBA. And so if you think you're going to play in the NBA in, you know, a year or two years' time, well, this is part of it, right? And so why, why wouldn't we put them in position to, to prepare for having to do that at the next level when you know, that is their ultimate goal and that's, that's what they're striving for and, and that's what life's going to be like there? Amen to that, Christian Capel. Uh, Congrats on what you're doing. OnMontLake.com is where you want to read. If you want to catch up on Washington football, check out what Christian is doing there. Good luck to you this week, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you down the road. All right, thank you. Good stuff from Christian Capel. Anna, you were nodding your head as I was uh, talking about Lincoln Riley. You know what? The more I think about it, it it is him saying, I don't trust my guys to say the right thing in this moment. You're not protecting these players from coming out and, you know, saying, yeah, I'm going to protect them from the noise. They're not going to get away from the noise. USC just lost to Utah for the fourth straight time. They've got mobile phones. They have phones in their hands. They're going to be on social media, not protecting anybody from the noise. Well, we don't know exactly how that decision came about. Like, it could be player-led. 
like he could have been hearing from players who said, hey, we just really don't want to face the music. We don't want to be put in that There's situation. There's only one player. There's only one player who could drive that narrative. If, if you're going to go with that, the only player that could have driven that narrative was Caleb Williams. If they went to him and said, Caleb, we need you in the post-game news conference, and he said, I don't want to go. I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk about this game. Lincoln Riley in that moment may have made a decision to say, well, if he doesn't go, then I can't put anybody else up there because it's going to be weird. But based on your interviews with Caleb Williams. I thought he was fine. He's a grown-up. That you know? doesn't sound like no. something he would say, right? No. Like no. you were fairly impressed with I him. I was really impressed with him. I so, am. I remain. I think he's. I think he's the number one pick in the NFL draft. I mean, I, I would still pick him. If I was an NFL GM, I would have no hesitation picking him. Yeah. But, you know, he had some lapses in judgment. He had fingernail thing where he put F Utah, and he can't beat Utah. He's going to leave USC never having beaten Utah. And if he comes <laughs> back next year, he's not going to beat Utah. They're not going to play him. They're going to be in the Big Ten Conference. So, Well, I think that silencing of the team combined with how sensitive they were to the reporter yeah. at the very beginning of the year before he, anything had even happened. That he was just reporting what he had seen right. you know, around the practice facility. And they barred him from doing that. They're, they tried to bar him from doing that. I think you're right. I think the overall message is simply we don't trust the players in this program um, to, to not say the wrong thing right. at the wrong time. Yeah, It's a bad message. Let's go to the phone lines. David's in Astoria. David, what's on your mind? Hey, John, two things. First, uh, general question about USC. I, I've been, uh, I have USC fan friends, and I've been telling them since the beginning that uh, that they were being being overrated from the, from the get go. Everybody was champing at the bit to finally get be able to root for USC. But that I didn't. I thought that the the turnaround they envisioned would be a miracle. And given the new coach's history at Oklahoma, I didn't see it happening. So I'm curious about your thoughts on that. And then um, that. Reversal of the pass interference call with Arizona State yeah. and Washington. I, you haven't said what your opinion of it well, was. It's, oh, it's pass interference. Was that, it's pass interference. Hundred percent. I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, you know, I'm a Ducks fan, and and so I sort of was rooting against Washington, but not strongly. Uh, uh, but then I was like incensed I, uh, that that call. Yeah. Turned the game. Oh, that I was did. it. You were yeah. done. Yeah, it did. It did. And and look, I always say good teams will overcome bad officiating. They'll overcome a bad break. But let's be real. Arizona State's not a good team. They may, they may go winless. And so for that team to win that game on the road at Husky Stadium, the margin's thin. And so, you know, I tweeted late in the game, even before the pass interference call, non-call, that Washington couldn't get a yard and Arizona State couldn't get a call. And that's how it felt to me. Now, I do think part of the home field advantage in those tough places to play that I always talk about, part of the home field advantage is the crowd and the atmosphere. And I think those officials are human. And I think that Husky Stadium crowd, the Rice-Eccles Stadium crowd at Utah, Autzen Stadium crowd, Reader Stadium crowd, they are difficult crowds, I think, to officiate in because I think the officials go in there you know, the game's moving fast. The crowd's screaming for their spleen. It's it's a tough place to make a call. And the way that, you know, that official, the position he's in, he missed it. 
He missed it. They missed it. They threw the flag. They picked it up. It was the wrong call. Uh, uh, in the end, it did change the complexion of the game. Ed's in Lebanon. Ed, welcome. Hey, uh, first of all, thank you for taking my call. Uh, locker room talk, just briefly. I, I yeah. understand that Hayden Fry at Iowa had the opposing locker room painted pink in order to make the opposing team <laughs> sleepy. Yeah, that's true. That's a truth. In a lot of those locker rooms, I can tell you this, they barely have running water or they have a shortage of toilets. Or they have uh, they're they're not big enough for the team to be in at the same time the offense and the defense so they have to meet outside. I've seen it done all these different ways. I'll talk to you know a good guest on this would be the best guest on this will be on Wednesday. Nick Aliotti, Oregon former Oregon D coordinator, long time in the conference. We'll ask him the best and the worst locker rooms in the Pac-12. He's seen them all. By the way, is it bad when Ed said some locker room talk? I thought he was going to tell a dirty joke. <laughs> Is that a bad thing? <laughs> That's what I thought, too. I was hoping you did. <laughs> you That's to, where my mind went. I want you to leave it here. You got the bald-faced truth. Uh, you know what I don't understand, Stephen? I'm going to tell you. I don't understand scavenger hunts. Especially with grown-ups. You know, I, I uh, overheard a conversation over the weekend. So-and-so was saying uh, there was a scavenger hunt. And I was like, why would you do that to yourself? Is that fun to you to think like scavenger hunt? Uh, you know, uh, I'm going to hide things all over, hide clues. You go find it. I don't. That, I, I think it would be kind of fun if it's done right. If it's done right, it might be fun. Like if you have teams, like just by myself, no. Yeah. But like if it was me and, you know, the wife and maybe, you know, someone else, like a team doing it, I think it would right. be fun. So maybe we should do a sports scavenger hunt and then at the end of it, we have we hide tickets or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I used to do that when I when I have tickets, I'd say like, "Hey, I'm at Lloyd Center Mall," and uh, first person to come up to me and say, "I listen to the show. I have two tickets to tonight's Blazer game." Boom, and I would do that, and it would be seven minutes later, somebody's tapping me on the shoulder saying, "Hey, I listen to the show." So I used to do that in that way, but it wasn't exactly like a scavenger hunt. Like, I've done it for my kids for, like, Christmas presents and stuff or birthday presents. Really? And yeah. it has a friend who goes above and beyond with that kind of stuff. Involves other people. Like, you have to go knock on strangers' doors. you got to go then, to 7-Eleven, go to the yeah, cashier. And then you have to say something to the person, and then they hand you an envelope, and then there's another clue in there. But I'm like, like I don't know. That seems like a big expenditure of energy. To get to the end where, you know, I don't know. Maybe no, I, I just mean, don't get it. I, I'm not going to neighbors. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just hiding it around the house. You know? You're not involving no, neighbors. No, I'm not, I'm not talking to other people. I'm just, yeah. you know, I, I can hide things. That's, that's, that's all I'm saying. We have also been one of those families that traditionally doesn't put out a lot of Halloween decorations. Anna, for a while, was like, I don't want to invite bad spirits. Like, she would actually said that. Like, I don't like all the scary stuff in the front yard. And so... Uh, we decided not to do it, and in fact, the little scary stuff I had, I donated to uh, Goodwill. And then the two young kids love scary stuff. And so yesterday we were putting scary stuff out, and they were, and I was like, "Where? What happened to the, uh, to the like to the tombstones we had? Oh, no, we gave them away. So uh, we don't have any of the stuff, so we got to go back out and buy it now. So, do you decorate? Are you like Kelly Graves, the Oregon women's basketball coach? He has a storage facility. That is filled with Halloween decorations. I need to see that guy's house. I, 
I'm not a big Halloween fan, I'll be honest. So, no, we don't decorate for Halloween. Not at all. Like, there's nothing out in the Vaughn uh, front yard right now. No, we've had, we've had like, little fake, uh, you know, tombstones and stuff before, mm-hmm. but I don't, we haven't pulled them out. I don't think we are. The kids haven't asked about it yet, so. <laughs> yeah. Let it go? Yeah, we'll just let it go. Well, I'm just, I'm not a big Halloween guy. Like, I don't, I just don't like dressing up, so it's just not my thing. I went through that yesterday. Exact conversation yesterday as uh, we went into one of those spirit stores, you know, the Halloween spirit stores that are all over the country. How many of those stores are there, by the way? And what a brilliant model to go into, like, some Bed Bath & Beyond or Toys R Us that's closed down. They rent it out seasonally, and they fill it with a bunch of scary crap, and, you know, then they just make a killing, like, every Halloween. So we were in one of those stores in... The girls are intent on dressing up for their school Halloween thing. They do a like a Friday night thing, the uh, the week before Halloween. So it's coming up this Friday night. So they're intent on dressing up, and that means I have to dress up, or I'm that guy who's walking around their thing. So I said to Anna and the girls, I said I want a costume that is simple. I don't want any headgear involved in it. I don't need to put on a mask. I want it to be simple. And then the other criteria is. I don't want to have to answer a bunch of questions about it. So I don't want people to be like, what are you? I don't need to explain that. Or are you this? I don't want to have that conversation. So I know I sound like a curmudgeon. So what we ultimately uh, settled on, because originally I said, I'll just wear a cape, right? Like, there was like this black cape and a hood. Default and superhero. <laughs> and I said, I'll just wear the cape. And Anna said, people are going to think you're Uncle Fester. So I said, okay, no cape, because I don't want to have to answer that question 15 times. So what we ended up with was we got one of these Harry Potter robes. Okay, there was like this adult-sized Harry Potter, you know, regular old wizards go to Hogwarts, they get a robe. And so I got one of these Harry Potter robes, and and it's got one of the house names on it. I don't even know which house it is. And uh, I'm going to wear that. That way, no headgear. Everybody knows Harry Potter. Everybody's going to know I'm at the wizard, you know, I'm at Hogwarts, but I'm not Harry Potter, okay? That's a perfect costume for me. Fly under the radar, go to the school event, no problems. I would have gone with, like, a, like a football <laughs> jersey. You wear, like, a Christian McCaffrey jersey? Yeah, I'm Christian McCaffrey for I, Halloween. There's a problem with that for me. I can't, I gotta, I gotta be impartial. And so, but what happens... But everyone knows you're a 49er fan. Yeah, but, okay, but what happens if someone snaps a photo of me... And let's just say I relocate five years from now. I'm back in the Bay Area. I'm covering the Niners. Now I got a picture of me floating around the uh, social media sites of me in a Niners jersey that could be misconstrued in a bunch of ways. I have to think about things other people don't. I can't wear a duck jersey. I can't wear a beaver jersey. I, I, you know, I, I even have to. I have a discomfort mildly with my own children picking their sports teams. Like my oldest uh, daughter, you know, used to. She loves the Blazers. And so she'd wear blazer jerseys, and I was like, okay, you can get whatever blazer jersey you want, but just know people are going to say to you, oh, your dad hates the blazers if I write something negative about the blazers, and it's not true. Uh, that's kind of funny, yeah. I never didn't really think about that. But, uh, yeah, we were in, I mean, we were in Fred Meyer. We were in Fred Meyer one time, and I said to her, you know, she said, it's jersey day at her school. And she says, I don't have a jersey, Dad. I would love to buy a football jersey. And I was like, okay. What am I going to say, no to that? Like, my oldest daughter wants to buy a jersey? And so I said, okay, pick out a jersey. And here we were. We're at the rack at Fred Meyer, which everybody knows. you got the beaver rack and you got the duck rack. And I said, this is going to be interesting. I steered her not. 
and this was back in the Sean Mannion era, era where he was playing quarterback, she picked a Sean Mannion number five Oregon State jersey. And that's the jersey she picked. And I told Mannion about it later, and he was like, right on. Like, that's the jersey. And I said, do you know how conflicted I was? Is I'm in line, and the Beaver jersey is on the conveyor belt. I have people looking at me going, oh, he's a Beaver fan. There it is. I, it's a different world. I live by different rules. I, can't, I would love to do the sports jersey thing. I grew up a Niner fan. I grew up a San Francisco Giants fan. But I got to be honest with you. I've covered both of those teams, and it kind of you lose you kind of lose your fandom in a weird way. Even though I am a fan, you lose your fandom, and I find myself rooting for like all the Oregon teams. Ultimately, I like the teams to do well. I was telling the guys here at Milwaukee Lumber, like I like the teams to do well because it's more interesting. It's more fun for me to cl- cover games that are meaningful. And right now, look, think about it. Oregon State is really good. Jonathan Smith's got it going. They are, uh, you know, sitting at six and one. Oregon's really good. Dan Landing's got it going. They're sitting at six and one. Both teams have respectable losses on the road. Nobody's lost at home. This season's going to be a lot of fun to cover. Then you go beyond it. How about the Blazers? The Blazers are kind of a dumpster fire, you know, as a franchise right now. But they're not boring. Like there have been times where we do this radio show where the Blazers were just kind of okay like headed to 40-something wins, not going to really matter, not going to make, the, not going to play deep in the postseason, not going to beat, you know, disrupt anybody or beat anybody. And then beyond that, you have uh, Oregon and Oregon State. There were times when Oregon and Oregon State just weren't very good. And, you know, or they were just kind of okay. Like you're going to a Sun Bowl. You know, you're going to a mediocre bowl game. And uh, now both these programs are legitimately top, 15 programs, top 12 programs even, and legitimately can think about or dream about playing in a major bowl game. This this is a high time for this radio show. 100%. And, you know, as a guy who worked for the Blazers, you know, I grew up a Blazer fan and a diehard Blazer fan. There was a time in my life where I was watching every game, every minute, you know, when I was in my, you know, low to mid-20s, just loving it. And then I worked for the Blazers, and you're right, like, you lose a bit of the fandom because... You're around it all the time, and it's just more of a, it's more of a business, right? It's more of your per- professional thing. So I get that. Um, you know, I, I think your Harry Potter costume is going to go well. I think the kids I will like it. I don't know if it will. I, 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 but I just don't – I want low maintenance. I just don't want, like – The other parents aren't going to be, like, whispering, oh, did you see what John's wearing? Like, no, they'll, exactly. they'll, they'll get it. They'll be like, all right, I get that. That's what I'm looking for. Anna, Anna suggested that I should go as a vampire. But I'm like, that's going to require teeth. It's like makeup, too. Yeah, there's some make. There's, it's too much. Yeah. I want something I can put on that I can just take off at the end. I didn't want to spend a whole bunch of money on it. You know, so there was like a really inexpensive Harry Potter robe from one of the houses. I don't even know which Griffin whatever house. And I said, okay, I'm going to wear this thing. And I won't have other parents coming up to me going, what are you supposed to be? That was the ultimate goal this Halloween. Yeah, you're a Harry Potter guy. That's, that's, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And you know what? I'm not Harry Potter, so leave me alone. You know, I'm just I'm an extra in the show. That's the whole thing. I'm in the hall. I'm down the. I'm just down the way, minding my business. That's all it is. I don't even know if I have a wand. I don't need a wand. I'm probably not going to even be a wizard. Let's be real. In the end, all right. I have I have a, a hot take coming up on this Michigan football spygate thing. It's uh, The story is growing. It turns out that the character at the center of this thing has been buying tickets to go see other Big Ten teams play. He's been in the stands. 
Is he filming them? Michigan in some hot water. We'll, we'll talk about how big a deal that is coming up. And then Anna's got the five at five. We're broadcasting in Milwaukee Lumber. We're in Old Town, Milwaukee. Stop by and say hello. We've had some listers come by, pick up some bumper stickers, and pick up some uh, magnets as well. You got the bald face truth. We're at Milwaukee Lumber. We're in Old Town, Milwaukee. Is that the best way to describe it, Anna? I think Old so. Old Town, Milwaukee. Yeah. Stop by Milwaukee Lumber. We'll be here for about another half hour of broadcasting, taking you right into Monday Night Football. Super Niners playing tonight, Stephen. Is that right? Super Niners uh, taking on the Minnesota Vikings. Christian McCaffrey will go. Is that uh, what the fantasy football world is telling us? That is correct. Uh, Debo Samuel will not be going for the 49ers. No Debo, but yes, a McCaffrey. And no Trent Williams as well. No Trent Williams for the Niners either. So there you heard it. Um, can I can I talk a little bit about this Michigan thing? Can we do that? Please do. It's my show. I guess we can do that. So uh, <laughs> No, this, you can't. This Michigan uh, sign-stealing thing. I got a lot of thoughts about this. First of all, there's some new there's some new materials. There's some new things out right now as it pertains to this game. Connor Stallions is the staffer at Michigan who's at the center of the sign stealing probe. By the way, Connor Stallions is that a name made for the adult film industry or what? <laughs> or he's a you know, cowboy? Can I can I just say that when I saw that Connor Stallions? <laughs> I'm like, am I allowed to watch if he was videotaping those things? What's he like, videotaping? Like, what's he got a camera for? <laughs> Connor Stallions, the suspended staffer, is at the center of this probe. He apparently bought tickets in his own name for more than 30 games over the past three years at 11 different Big Ten schools. Uh, the scope of the sign-stealing operation is now extending to where... Connor Stallions was spending his money and time. By the way, how stupid is he to buy tickets in his own name? Secondarily, um, this is bad for Michigan. It looks bad. It's going to cause a bunch of people out there to be upset. I do think it's a big deal. Some people don't think it's a big deal. We could debate that. But uh, the bigger thing I came away with was, like, who's playing Connor Stallions in the movie? When they make a movie about this thing, you know? Um, Steven, you don't think this is a big deal. We've talked off air about this. You think no big deal, sign-stealing is okay. <laughs> I don't think that's okay, but I think it's naive for us all to think that Michigan's the only team that's doing this. So I, I just don't see what the big deal is. Like, they're stealing signs. They still have to go out and, they still have to go out and play on the field. I feel like also other coaching staffs, they realize, hey, look, Michigan may know our signs. How about we switch something up? How about we change the signs? How about we do something that they haven't seen before? I, I just I don't find it that big of a deal. Like everyone's trying to get a leg up and that's what Michigan is doing and they're sending out this guy or he's doing it by himself and reporting back. Like I, I don't know. It just seems like I feel like Ohio State's probably doing the same thing. I feel like, you know, Oregon probably doing the same thing. Like all these big time schools have so much money that they can spend. Of course they're trying to get a leg up. Of course they're trying to get an advantage. So they're going to send out this guy who, uh, if I remember correctly, he was like a Navy SEAL, and he's, he's great at like coming up and uh, you know figuring out signs and how it how it goes down. Like he's really good. He's an expert at it. So of course they want him on the on the on the staff trying to help him out and win games. They have a really good team. They can win national championship this year. I I really have no problem with it. I feel like college sports, especially college football, it's it's all about cheating. It always has been. It's always has. It, it always will be. So I really have no problem with it. 
maybe I'm naive here, but like when I read the details of it, it bothers me. And so maybe this is educational for me. The reports are that he forwarded some of those tickets to the 30 games to three different people around the country. So there's a team of people, I think, that are working on this. The report reveals that one of the Big Ten schools actually looked at their video surveillance from inside the stadium and discovered that the person sitting in the seat bought by him was holding a cell phone pointed toward the home team's bench for the majority of the game. So circumstantially, this looks real bad. It's bad. It, and, and look, I agree with you, Stephen, that everybody's trying to steal signs to some extent. Like you've seen teams for years that will, you know, either have false signs, dummy signs on the sideline that mean nothing. Chip Kelly tells us that back in his era at Oregon, you know, he used to hold up the signs. They would put a picture up. Um, one day, one game, they held a picture of my face. It was my column mugshot up on the sideline. I'm in the press box, going, "What the hell is going on in the field?" Find out later, years later, from Kenyon Barner and Nick Cody and guys on that team that those signs meant nothing. There was nothing. It was a dummy sign. It was a decoy. Those things were intended to throw the opposing sideline off. I think anything is fair when it comes to. Hey, if you're looking across the sideline and you can pick up the other team's sign, that's a fair thing. Or if the other team is dumb enough to not have good signs that can be easily broke down, that's a fair thing. I think where I where I differentiate from you or deviate from your your spot, and you tell me if I'm wrong, Stephen, is I think it goes beyond reason when you take videotape of the other sideline, you study it, you break it down. It reminds me of what the Astros were doing filming from the you know from center field and then banging a bat against a trash can in the dugout to send the signal i'm okay if the runner on second steals the sign and relays that to the batter i'm not okay if you got somebody in center field with a camera and they're relaying it through the dugout am i reading you right Yes, but here's my thing, John, is do you think that Michigan's the only school that's doing this? Because I don't. I, I no. just And so no. for me, I more blame Michigan on the fact that they are so dumb that they can't even cover this up correctly. Like this is <laughs> like this got is a caught they, cheating. Yeah, they got caught cheating in such a terrible way that it shouldn't happen. So like for that, yeah, maybe Michigan should get punished because they're so dumb. But like at the same time. I just feel like all these schools are probably doing some sort of thing like this, and they're always trying. You know, they're talking to other coaches. They're getting footage from their other from other teams, other coaches, and they're trying to figure it out. I, so for me, like it just it's not that big of a deal. And I also just think, mm. how big is it really in the grand scheme of things? Because aren't these other coaching staffs aren't they changing things up week by week? Or am I wrong on that? I, I they're supposed to, and should, some of the schools some of the schools said that they changed signs. Prior to the game, Ohio State, one of the officials at Ohio State said they changed their signs for the Michigan game because they became aware of it. We've seen weird stuff like this happen. It happened in the Pac-12 a couple years ago when, you know, Oregon was playing against Arizona State. All of a sudden, Arizona State started, you know, Oregon started holding up giant, um, uh, giant, uh, you know, blockers on the sideline. And we were like, what in the hell is going on? And then the coaches said, well, we've just become aware of some things. Clearly... They were worried about sign stealing on the sideline. I do think it happens other places. I don't like your logic, though, because if, if it's against the law and somebody else is getting away with it or it's against the rules and somebody else is getting away with it, that doesn't mean it's okay. Well, do you speed when you're driving? 
It's Doesn't mean, but if I get a ticket, I'm guilty. I can't say, well, other people are getting away with it. I should not get a ticket. If I, you, I am fine you know. with a little bit of punishment for it because, like I said, they're so dumb they're getting caught. But like, it's, I don't think it's really helping that much on the field. Here's what's going to happen. For a long time, college football has wanted to be the NFL. It's looked over at the NFL with envy. The NFL, you have to have two feet in bound for it to be a reception. College, only have to have one. In the NFL, you have a two-minute warning. College doesn't have it. In the NFL, you have the ability for the coaches to speak into the ears of their quarterback and be on the field right with them during the games. Anna, you found that out this year. You didn't know that the coach had a, you know, a microphone that went into the helmet of the player. I yeah. remember how enlightened you were. My mind was blown. Yeah, and she was like, how can I get one of those and put it in John's ear? Yes. Um, so I think we're going to see the helmet technology change. And I think signs being signaled in by backup quarterbacks and coaches on the sideline will be a thing of the past. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna move to say that hey, we need in Division One football, we need the ability for the coach to be in the ear of the player. Let's do away with the possibility that anybody could possibly be stealing signs. And I think that's great. That's just like the NFL should get rid of the tush push. Like, that was ancient <laughs> NFL. This is ancient college football. Like, this shouldn't be a thing. Like, we have the technology to do that. Have them radio it right to the quarterback so you don't have to have these signs and have this type of scandals going on. Somebody asked me today, I, I do my Monday mailbag. Somebody asked me today if uh, there, what one rule in football I would change. And I didn't, I didn't bring up the tush push. Shocking. I didn't because I think it's obvious that shouldn't be legal. Like that's not. I don't want to waste my time. I want to use my one wish on something that should be so obvious, plainly obvious. You know, I rubbed the lamp. Roger Goodell popped out of it. I wouldn't be like, get rid of the tush push. I feel like that's a wasted wish. I like the, the rules committee is going to get rid of it anyways. For the record. But I, I, I looked at college football and I, I said my one rule is. I don't like that college players who get a targeting penalty are gone for the game and then gone for part of the next game. That is a huge consequence, and often I feel like it's, you know, the intent of the targeter matters to me. If a guy's coming in reckless and he's headhunting, that's a different penalty for me versus somebody who just got caught in an awkward position. Maybe the runner moved their head at the last instant, and you end up in a helmet-to-helmet contact situation. I'm okay with 15 yards. I'm even okay if you say, hey, you're ejected for the next quarter. So the next full quarter, you have to sit out, then you can come back. So if the penalty's in the third or the fourth quarter, you're gone. But if the penalty's in the first or the second quarter, you can come back to the game. And oh, by the way, you're not going to have to sit out next week for something you did this week. That sounds silly to me. I agree. Well, it also, it's yeah. also to be like the technical foul rule of the NBA. Like you get a certain amount, then yeah, maybe then you're suspended for you know half of the next game. If, if you show a history of continuing to do targeting, then yeah, then you can get suspended. But yeah, I mean, it is a huge swing in a lot of games because a lot of times it's those big-time defenders. They make those plays, and you know, not only is the first down, then you lose one of your best players on your team. And you lose them for half of the next game, which is – that's absurd to me. Like you did – you know, as a parent, you would never punish that way. You would say, hey, this is the punishment it affects now. You don't go like, hey, you know, the next time you're playing, you get to miss half the game as well. That doesn't, that just doesn't wash with me. And so I think it's too big of a consequence. I actually would like to give the head referee the, the authority to say if they think it was a super egregious targeting, that the person's intent was to harm the other person and it was reckless and it endangered a player in a way that, 
you know, you can't live with. I would give the authority for the official to eject the player. Like, call it unsportsmanlike conduct, automatic ejection like they threw a punch. It's worse than a punch. If you hit a defenseless player, let's say a punt returner is waiting for the ball, and the gunner who's going down the field just tees off on the punt returner, knocks him into next week, concusses him. Like, I would say the referee should have the ability there to eject the player and say, hey, you're gone for the whole game. That's, you know, to me, that's the better rule. Targeting, get rid of that. Tush, push, that needs to go too. Anna's 5 at 5 is coming up. We will debate whether or not it's actually newsworthy. She's got five good stories. We'll find out what they are next. B-F-F-T. Now, live from Milwaukee Lumber in Milwaukee, here's John Canzano with the Ball Faced Truth, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. It's a lot of production. I love the echo. I feel like I'm about to uh, come to the plate at Yankee Stadium. Now batting, batting, right fielder. Um, listen, uh, we are at Milwaukee Lumber. If you're looking for lumber, decking, siding, hardware, or just some good conversation, these guys got you covered here. You come in here, and it, it's more than just buying the materials. You're getting decades of expertise at Milwaukee Lumber. I, I want to thank them for having us today letting us uh, do the radio show from their beautiful showroom. And uh, if you are looking for any of those things, if you're building a deck or a treehouse or a house, then uh, Milwaukee Lumber should be your go-to. This lumber yard that is right over my right shoulder right now has been here since 1940, okay? So somebody that you know, might have been on this lumber yard back in the day, and you too can follow in those great footsteps. Uh, Milwaukee Lumber, three great locations, and I appreciate them being longtime supporters of the show and also supporters of the BFT Foundation. They've got good hearts in addition to all these hammers and nails. Anna is here. You've been meandering around the showroom. Not just the showroom, I mean the whole store. It's amazing because it's such a great family atmosphere. I mean, there was a set of uh, 10-year-old twins earlier. And who Justin were here. Herbert jerseys, I saw. Yeah. <laughs> they're so excited. So they're the daughters of one of the employees, and they're going to their first NFL what? game over Veterans Day weekend. They'll oh. be going down to L.A. to watch Justin Herbert oh, play. Oh, that's exciting. And they're on cloud nine over that. That's awesome. Love that. All right. Are you on cloud nine for the five at five? Always. We got. We haven't taken our kids to an NFL game. Yeah. In what's part, wrong with us? In part because it costs a small it's, fortune. That's exactly why. And I don't know. If they, I want them to be old enough to remember yeah. it. Yeah. Okay? What is that age? Because I don't want to waste a ticket on a yeah. kid that's not going to remember it or appreciate it. What is your earliest childhood memory, Stephen? Hmm. Um. What do you remember? Keep it clean. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I can't, I don't know, my first childhood memory. I What's got... the oldest thing you remember happening? Come on. In your life. In your life. You haven't <laughs> thought about this? I've never what? thought about this in my life. I mean, what? Probably, no, probably. Probably when I was like, uh, I mean, I I don't know, I remember, I kind of remember when I was like three, I remember going to like my brother's school. Do you remember that? You, you yeah. don't remember anything that happened though. I remember it was fun. All right, so I remember, <laughs> I can remember like age six or seven pieces fragments of it i i have good memories that start around at age nine 
that I that I that I know are true. I know are with me. I know they happened to me. But I can go back and I can go. I can remember like faintly remember something that happened when I was five or six. But I, like solid memories, I would say eight, nine, ten years old if we want to be safe. Mm-hmm. So these children are just not ready. Yeah, I feel we like, shouldn't take it anywhere. We shouldn't have taken them no, anywhere. Wasted money. We Disneyland All those museums, was a waste. County fairs, remember none elephant of it. ears, none zoo. of it. That's been my argument of not going to Disneyland yet, too, because my kids, are, you know, that age, nine and four, like, eh, they nope. don't remember. Yeah. Sorry, four-year-old, you're not going to remember this. I know you're going to cry now, but you won't remember crying. <laughs> you don't even remember tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember uh, losing a balloon that I got at Disneyland. It was a helium balloon. Yeah. I was five or six. That's your and memory I, from Disneyland. And I let go of. I don't remember anything about Disneyland, but I remember letting go of the balloon. My parents being really upset that they had paid for that balloon, and I just let it go. Hey, <laughs> happiest place on earth. <laughs> so there you go. Pro- you probably like second grade, though, right? Like, you can remember stuff at, like, second grade. Yeah, I remember my teacher. I don't remember, like, what happened on Wednesday, you know, but you, Like, those grade. core memories. Like, I remember going to a Blazers versus Rockets game, the one where Vernon Maxwell went in the crowd and punched a fan. Oh, I was at nice. that game. Second, oh. second grade, yeah. That's Ooh. memorable. I know. Nice. My first memory was Mount St. Helens erupting, watching it erupt from my living room picture window. Wow. Yeah. How's that that's, for a first memory? That's vivid. Yeah. So how old were you then? Uh, about two. Wow. You don't have to do the math. Nobody there, did the math. There you Thanks. go. Is that I when you were, uh, became the love for the news reporter? You were, you were <laughs> two. That was it. I was in, like, fifth grade? <laughs> <laughs> what the heck was going on there? All right. Let's go to the five at five. The Five at Five. Anna's Five at Five. Here we go. So all this talk about Bill Belichick, whether it's time for him to go, turns out it's kind of moot because the word is out that he quietly agreed to a multi-year extension with the team uh, in the past off-season. So he's fine. Now, he's one in five, and the Patriots are going to be missing the playoffs for the third time in four seasons since Tom Brady left as a free agent. But uh, I think Belichick's going to be fine. He's yep. probably sticking around. Doesn't, no, but it doesn't mean that they can't negotiate him out if, he, if it's not working. But Robert Kraft taking care of his old coach is what's happening there. Keep an eye on that. Number two. Mary Lou Retton is out of the ICU and recovering from home. She had this crazy case of pneumonia and she was bad and then she got better and then she got worse again but her daughters or one of her daughters is saying uh, there's good news now there's a long road ahead of recovery they had a scary setback but she is home and recovering and uh, man the GoFundMe that's been started has raised like $460,000 Mary Lou Redden needs a GoFundMe well yeah I would have thought cover of Wheaties. Well, that probably only went so far, and these are crazy hospital bills. Yeah, I yeah I guess. (laughs) I'm with you, Mary Lou. That's what people said in 1984. Did you remember that? No, I don't remember that. Everyone had a crush on Mary Lou Retton at that time. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah, everybody did. Because she was cute. She was you know running, flipping around, you know getting tens. She was on the cover of the Wheaties box. She was yeah. everywhere. Ronald Reagan loved her, was high-fiving her. Yeah. Well, Mary Lou. Oh, all of that. wow. So there you go. Wow. Number three. Okay. 
Um, Michigan State University is apologizing. Not Michigan. Somehow, a picture of Hitler showed up on the Jumbotron during the game. And it was part of, like, a trivia question about his birthplace in Austria. Now, I'm sure this didn't sit well with a lot of people. And it didn't take long for Michigan State to apologize. It turns out this was all because of a third-party source that was running the entertainment on the Jumbotron. Yeah, they apparently didn't watch the film of what they were going to show. It's a good good lesson for Michigan State. What is going on with the state of Michigan? Yeah. Between Michigan and Michigan State? Just a lot of snafus happening. I don't know which way the water is circulating in the bowl, but it's like the state of Michigan is just... Can't talk about the water in Detroit. Okay. <laughs> it's, might the, be those two schools, at Mel Tucker, yeah. you know, yeah. on the phone with Mel Tucker, on the video screen, the Jumbotron with yeah. Hitler. Mm-hmm. Just a big mess. Yeah. Number bad run. four. four. LeBron James, yeah, I know, Stephen, he's made the 5 at 5 again. He might not be retiring for a long time. He's saying that he hopes to stay in the NBA until he plays with not just Bronny now, but also Bryce, which means at the very least he will play, in his mind, until he is 41 years old. How many more years is that? He's 38. So three more years. You think LeBron has three more Does years? Does LeBron in have him? three good years in him? Maybe not. But three years? Three good. I mean, he'll be he'll be fine. Yeah, in three years he'll be okay. He won't be anywhere close to what he is. He also talks about how he might retire. It changes daily with that guy. I just whatever. But, okay. What if like at what age does LeBron become a liability? Probably forty, I would guess. Okay. Like I think I think he's still good this season, and I would guess probably next season also. But at age forty, like your defense is going to be so bad, and then offensively you'll just have no quickness. So I think I think he's got two more solid seasons. Something though, you know, for me it depends on what he wants to be paid, because if he's just just taking up a roster spot and he's going to sit at the end of the bench, I don't mind that as much as if he thinks he's going to be paid. 25 million a year. I just don't like that he's doing it because it's about the kid. Like, if his kids are good enough to make well, the NBA, let him make the NBA. If they're not, don't do it because your dad's LeBron James. And he's treating the NBA like it's his personal yeah. family rec league softball right, team. That's... Five. Number five. Real quick. Uh, University of Texas at San Antonio's coach took the phrase, don't eat the cheese real seriously, trying to motivate his team. So... The team started on a rough note going 1-3, and three, but they won the last three games to move to 4-3. and three. He wanted to nice. keep the momentum going and not get them too cocky, so he placed a mousetrap with cheese on it in every player's locker. But one of the players took his mousetrap and put it on the podium, and the coach himself wound up getting hurt with a mousetrap that he had set. This is a close second to the coach who kicked something but wouldn't tell us yeah. what he kicked. Yeah. And for his uh, good week stories. I love that. All right. Monday Night Football and the Super Niners are coming up next.